Well, hey, this is your old friend Bill. Whenever I find myself in Davis, I'm busy putting the fun in fundraising. But when I'm not, I always listen to KDVS 90.3 FM. And you should, too. Go Aggies! This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. We are pleased to announce that in our second segment today, we'll be speaking with former Congressman Pete McCloskey. Mr. McCloskey represented San Mateo County in the House of Representatives from 1968 to 1983. If you're old enough to remember the 1972 presidential campaign, he will be well known to you from uh, his challenge to incumbent President Richard M. Nixon. Mr. McCloskey has in recent years been retired to a ranch in Yolo County, but currently he is challenging the powerful Richard Pombo for the Republican Party's nomination in California's 11th Congressional District. I can guarantee you that he will be an interesting interview, so stick around for that in segment two. Let's, uh, let's start today with a joke of the day. It's actually a little uh, anecdote of the day. It comes from Bob Newhart's appearance in Sacramento as, as part of the Sacramento Speaker Series last month. Now, I know Mr. Newhart uh, had a couple of television programs, but... Uh, As far as I'm concerned, I always remember him as a stand-up comic. During his talk, one of of the anecdotes I enjoyed the most was his description of going on the Ed Sullivan show back in the 1960s. Apparently on the show, the performers would have a rehearsal in the afternoon before the actual program that was aired to the nation uh, later in the evening. Apparently during the rehearsal, uh, Newhart observed Sullivan, who was famous for his gaffes on the air, come over to speak with singer Jack Jones. He asked him, uh, Jack, um, didn't your father used to be Alan Jones? Jack looked at him and said, well, Ed, he, he still is. Sullivan said, ah, that's pretty funny. Let's, let's make sure we leave that in in tonight's show. <laughs> so during the actual broadcast, after Jack Jones finished his song, Sullivan comes over to him and says, uh, so Jack, is your father still living? Something that's funny. On this date in history, March 23rd in the year 1743, German composer George Friedrich Handel's oratorio Messiah has its London premiere. On this date in 1857, the world's first passenger elevator, built by Elisha Otis, goes into service in New York City. On this date in 1877, Mormon stalwart John Doyle Lee is executed for his role in the Mountain Meadows Massacre 20 years earlier, in which Mormon settlers slaughtered a wagon train of Kansas immigrants on the California Trail. On this date in 1919, Benito Mussolini, an Italian war World, World War I veteran and publisher of a socialist newspaper, founds the Italian Fascist Party. On this date in 1933, the German Reichstag passes the Enabling Act, 
which gives Adolf Hitler's Nazi government dictatorial powers. Gee, judging by what happened on this date, we should have stuck with Handel. Our quote of the day, and this takes a moment to set up, comes from Newsweek magazine uh, and from an anonymous White House aide who spoke to Holly and Bailey of and Pat Wingert of the magazine. Now, we told you last week about the story of Claude Allen, George W. Bush's top domestic policy advisor and the highest ranking African American in the Bush White House. The magazine noted that Republican Party leaders, always on the lookout for a conservative black candidate, had pegged Mr. Allen as a future congressman or senator. This all came undone a couple months ago when security cameras uh, caught Mr. Allen buying items at Target, taking them out to his car, <laughs> going back into the store, removing the same items from the shelf, and then going over to the refund counter to get his money back. Here's the quote that the uh, anonymous source told Newsweek. When you hear about a White House official getting busted, you'd hope it would be for something so much better than this, like securities fraud or embezzlement. But robbing a target? Are you kidding me? This reminds me of Humphrey Bogart's quote from Casablanca, where Rick Blaine says, I don't mind a crook, I just can't abide a cut-rate one. And apparently, uh, you know, right out of the horse's mouth... (laughs) from the White House, they wouldn't feel so bad if it had been securities fraud or embezzlement. What, uh, what seems to upset them is just the cut-rate nature of the crime. The moral of the story, if you're going to be a crook, would you please at least think big? Alright, let's do the good, the bad, and the ugly. The Week magazine noted that it was a good week last week for Manna from Heaven after a plumber's mix-up in Norway left a tavern's beer supply connected to the water pipes of the upstairs apartment. I turned on the tap and beer came out, said housewife Haldis Gunderson. We thought we were in heaven. Conversely, it was a bad week for getting yourself off the hook when it was revealed that in Livingston, Louisiana, motorcyclist Brian Willis was booked for reckless operation of a vehicle after state troopers reported clocking him zooming down a highway going 155. Willis told trooper Ryan Riley he didn't think he was going that fast. He thought he was only doing 120 or 130. And last week was an ugly week for judicious use of tax dollars after it was revealed that Loving County in West Texas, which is the emptiest county in the entire United States, with only 71 people, received $30,000 in anti-terrorism funds from the Department of Homeland Security. Well, I don't know about you, but if $30,000 is going to be lavished on a county with two roads, one cafe, and 645 empty square miles, we're just not surprised it was in the Lone Star State. 
And by way of follow-up, we would note that after last week's obituary on Don Knotts, we, we took our own advice and went out and pulled out a DVD that I'd bought a long time ago and hadn't even cracked the, uh, the plastic on, which were four outstanding episodes of Barney Fife on the old Andy Griffith show. And I got to tell you, <laughs> they're pretty funny. Check it out sometime. Two recent headlines about canines caught our eye. One was from uh, New York Central Park that said, Wiley Coyote captured in Central Park. And no, they apparently did not mean the character from the Roadrunner cartoons. It was a real animal that had gotten loose somehow in New York Central Park and was finally captured after being tranquilizer darted. But I love this item. Gray wolves have recovered fully from the brink of extinction in the western Great Lakes region and no longer need federal protection there, the Bush administration said last week. Interior Secretary Gail Norton said her department would propose removing the wolf from the endangered species list in Michigan, Minnesota, and Wisconsin, where roughly 3,800 wolves live. Here's the part I like best. The proposal also covers North Dakota, South Dakota, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, and Ohio, which aren't believed to have any wolves now. Ladies and gentlemen, you just can't make this kind of stuff up. With a straight face, apparently, the Bush administration has announced that (laughs) the gray wolf is not endangered in six states which have populations of zero each. And if your travel plans included Africa and Europe, you might want to be advised that uh, the European Union... This week, banned 92 airlines, most of them from Africa, from landing at Europe's airports due to failures in meeting international safety standards. The new EU blacklist of airlines includes uh, 50 carriers from Congo alone, 14 from Sierra Leone, and 7 from Swaziland. In an unusually candid moment, EU Transport Commissioner Jacques Barat said some planes used for flights to Europe and possibly elsewhere were flying coffins. At some point in the not-too-distant future, we're going to have to talk about the acquisition of the Knight Ritter newspaper chain by the McClatchy organization, which, of course, uh, brings you the Sacramento Bee on a daily basis. We're not quite ready to do that, so let's instead just comment about an article in the Bee from the scene section you may have noticed on Tuesday, article out in left field about Christine Kraft and Enid Goldstein. Radio rarities, it said, liberal, female, and going mic to mic for an audience. I must confess to being somewhat irked by uh, Christine's Kraft assertion, which I heard her make some weeks ago, that uh, until Air America, which was then on her station, uh, KSAC 1240, but has now moved to KCTC 1320 AM, until Air America arrived in Sacramento, she said there was no progressive voice locally. Well, dear listeners, uh, you know that's not true. You know what I'd like you to do? Send an email to Christine Kraft and let her know that she ain't the only game in town or that she and Enid are not the only games in town. And if we're going to talk about female progressive voices, I know that Franz Senecal has been doing her show on this same station for, I think, uh, what is it, six years, Franz? Yeah, let's see if we can't wake up these, uh, these, these folks to the fact that, you know, there's some other folks out there that are also trying to put progressive viewpoints before the public. You know, and if, and if you're going to take the time to write, and I hope you will, dear listener, why don't you let the B know, too, that, uh, you know, they might just want to pay attention to what some other stations are doing as well. 
And uh, I have to confess, it is a cardinal rule in broadcasting uh, that you shouldn't mention other programs that are competing with yours, like as we speak. But you know what? I have complete confidence, dear listener, that given a choice between remaining with us today and switching to either of those other programs, you'll do the right thing and stay right here. I've heard those shows. So there, Christine. All right, I know you must have heard this story. It was all over the uh, the web, all over the papers, that apparently over on South Park, uh, Isaac Hayes, who plays one of the characters, got miffed because Scientology was, in his opinion, dissed by the program. Yeah, well, the, the latest news is that, you know, he's back and things are going to go ahead, uh, you know, as normal. I think it might have been a huge publicity stunt just to, you know, get to get more viewers. People were a little bit suspicious over the fact that after 150 episodes of South Park, Isaac Hayes suddenly had a problem with the show making fun of religions, because it had already made fun of Christians, Muslims, Mormons, and Jews. But uh, he apparently got a sudden case of religious sensitivity when the religion at stake was Scientology. I was somewhat amused to note that the episode that apparently caused all the fuss had to do with celebrity Scientologist Tom Cruise being uh, besieged in his bedroom by someone who apparently they thought was the reincarnation of L. Ron Hubbard. Uh, during the episode, <laughs> Cruise asks the man what he thinks of his acting work, and he pronounces him not as good as Leonardo DiCaprio, Gene Hackman, or that guy who played Napoleon Dynamite. Cruise then hides in the closet, and for the rest of the episode, Tom Cruise and come out of the closet are said in the same sentence 39 times. And of course, it is one of the most uh, persistent rumors in Hollywood that uh, the leading man down there, Mr. Cruise, is um, not heterosexual. Radio Parallax takes no editorial position on this. This is probably a good time to point out that the opinions expressed in this program do not necessarily represent those of KDVS, our sponsors, or the University of California. We would like to note that Tom Cruise has taken some pretty big hits for his uh, criticism of psychiatry. And while not endorsing his scathing remarks, we would refer you to the current issue of Discover Magazine with an interview with Nobel laureate Dr. Eric Kandel. The headline of the article was, Does Psychotherapy Work? Question mark. We'd be a lot more certain if we slapped a little science on it. The interviewee, neurobiologist Eric Kandel, was originally trained as a psychiatrist interested in psychoanalysis. But in the 1960s, he traded a therapist's sport jacket for a lab coat and began studying sea slugs. His uh, work uncovering the mechanisms of memory in sea slugs earned him a Nobel Prize in 2000. In the interview, Dr. Kandel noted that he was disappointed that psychoanalysis was not becoming more empirical early in his career, and it was not becoming more scientific. It was primarily concerned with individual patients and wasn't trying to collect data from large groups of people who had been analyzed. His question was then, how do you know any of this is doing any good? An extremely valid question in this doctor's opinion. But he noted that uh, it may be that the time is ripe to use brain imaging to evaluate the outcome of psychotherapy. He said, quote, There are now two forms of psychotherapy that have been medically proven to be effective. One is cognitive behavioral therapy developed by Aaron Beck at the University of Pennsylvania. The other is interpersonal therapy, which is developed by Myra Weissman at Columbia. 
These are two scientifically validated forms of short-term therapy. In 20 sessions, you can see improvements in mildly and moderately depressed patients. He noted how such a scans might pick up metabolic abnormalities in parts of the brain. The people are treated with psychotherapy, they get better, and the metabolic abnormality is reversed on the scan. It's the same thing that happens, by the way, if they're given pharmacologic agents like Prozac. Dr. Kandel noted that there was a time in the past when psychoanalysts wanted nothing to do with biology, and biologists didn't want to touch psychoanalysis, and thankfully that's now changing. And I would add that such a blending of disciplines comes not a moment too soon when we read, as we did in the paper last week, that soaring numbers of American children are being prescribed antipsychotic drugs, in many cases for attention deficit disorders or other behavioral problems, for which these medications have not been proven to work. If your kid's behavior is modified by methamphetamine that he purchases out in a park somewhere, that's called drug dealing. If he modifies his behavior based on a prescription given to him by a doctor, that's called pharmacotherapy. It's an area where I think we need to tighten up how we do business. All right, on a happier note, final item of the segment. I don't know how I'm going to translate a picture into words, but let me try. Perhaps you saw in the Sacramento Bee last Friday the photograph of actor and comedian Jerry Lewis receiving a medal from Paris Mayor Bertrand Delano as he was honored by the French on his 80th birthday by receiving a medal and induction into the Legion of Honor. He now receives the honorary title of Legion Commander, but the picture shows Jerry Lewis taking the medal and biting it to see if it's real. The expression on his face is something I, I, I hope you'll go and look up on the web. It's, it's pretty funny. All right, I'm Douglas Everett. You're listening to Radio Parallax on KDVS 90.3 FM. Stay tuned for our interview with former Congressman Pete McCloskey. In 1972, he became a household name in America by virtue of his challenge to an incumbent president for the presidential nomination in the fall election. He's proven he's not afraid of challenging authority, and he's doing so again this year as he steps forward to do battle with Richard Pombo, the powerful congressman from California's 11th district, for that seat. Please, stay tuned for that. <laughs> 